Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and get brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Jerry Fasena, Chairman and CEO of Allied Vehicles. And as always, if you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the Twitter conversation at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So gentlemen, Nicholas Sturgeon announced further easing of the restrictions during the week. Does it go far enough for business, Willie? It's obviously good news, but I'd like to have seen it going further. I'd like to hope that maybe by the end of January they were actually not talking about restrictions at all. I think people should be sensible and continue to wear masks, but I think for me that's the most that we should ask people to do. We have to get back to normal. You know, I was walking through the town and you know last week and I couldn't believe it. I mean, there was no one there. The place was deserted. So we need to let people think that things are back to normal. Let's get people back into offices and let's get people back into the shops. Well, raises an important question, Tom. How quickly can the economy recover? Particularly as Willie's talking about, the city centre is absolutely dead. And that's on the back of the advice, stay at home. Yeah, I think the important thing is Scotland deviated from um, England on these measures so I would like to see some evidence who was right because the people who paid the price were the businesses, mainly hospitality businesses, who after Christmas, were the public were told, stay at home, don't go out, nightclubs closed, bar um, table service only, keep your distance. And, you know, Willie and I know businesses that just the phone began to ring on cancellation after cancellation. And therefore, in order to... Now, this is difficult stuff, Donald. Of course it's difficult stuff. But my point is, England went one way, Scotland went another. Who was right? Because it will inform us, because this won't be the last... um, pandemic, I don't believe. You know, Bill Gates was talking about one some time ago, but I think we need to learn to live with it. And the way you learn to live with it is you learn from what happened. And I don't think it's good enough. I think I said last week, so that if the figures don't back up your strategy, you just say, I don't I don't recognise the figures. But Scottish businesses have paid a high higher price than English businesses, Donald. And is that a price that has been worth paying? That's my question today to both governments. And I would like to see some independent, if there is an independent arbiter, to go right on this, because there's little evidence to show that Scotland's um, infections and the pressure on the health service, and I know that's why we're doing these things, was any less than England. Just taking up your point about it being fair and that the Scottish businesses suffered, a lot of the businesses suffered, particularly take city centres and town centres, because there's no compensation when the Scottish government issues guidance, work from home. Well, the thing that was interesting for me was that when you... Everyone's seen the the kind of clip that was going round, uh, you know, about the pub that was raided in, in Glasgow City Centre. And the elderly gentleman that was saying to the policeman, you can't make me leave here because it's not a law, it's a guideline. And 100% he was right. 100% he was right. Yeah. So you're right, what we were getting was we were getting told, here is what we think you should do, and people were taking that as red. Now, there was restrictions that were put down, especially for the hospitality industry, but but with Tom, I agree. The learning, uh, you know, must be there for everyone going forward, and we have to study what we did right, what we did wrong, not to blame people, but so we don't make the same mistakes going forward. One of the things... 
that I was happy about with the second wave or the Omicron uh, virus was is that we didn't react the way we did when Lombardi fell down after the first one. Everybody panicked. Everybody ran out and wanted to buy millions of ventilators and no, there's a bad... So we took a few weeks of putting in some restrictions, but we didn't go to the extent that we did at the first one. So, and I'm glad that people waited to see the effect. Uh, obviously, everything was going to be governed by the effect on the, on the NHS. I think we're only really going to see the real effect on the NHS as we go forward once we're finished. And I think you'll see there's a backlog of three million cases or three and a half million visits to the hospital, all of that stuff. But I, I think for me, it has to come to an end now within weeks because I think especially the hospitality industry now is absolutely on its knees. There is a there is a thing out there now, that the word is out there, unspoken word, that... No, let's not get into the town centre. Let's not, because you just need to walk about and see that. I don't think ever there's ever been a case where you could drive into the town now and get parked anywhere, right? You can walk into a shop, there's not a queue, right? So I think for me, we've got to get the message out there. I don't know how you do it. Things are normal. Things are normal. If things are normal, but then if another variant comes along, we go back into having further restrictions. But the restrictions were all about protecting the NHS from being overloaded. Is it fair that two years into the pandemic, the NHS is not able to cope? We haven't, you know, if it was a business, you would have had measures in place to allow, that's what you're dealing with. But it's almost like, well, we need to stop everything and then handle, Yeah, you know. I mean, this is, this is where the learning comes in. And I, my point really took up there is that, I don't want to say, oh, well, Scotland got it right, Westminster got it wrong, or vice versa. What I'm saying is, what what did we learn? And then what are we going to do with what we've learned? And obviously the NHS is a huge part of the learnings and procedures and ways of doing. And I think there is something that the NHS is this sacrosanct body that it's very difficult to criticise the NHS because you then get, oh my God, you can't do this. You know, privatisation is a dirty word. and But there has to be changes, Donald, and, and changes for the good of the patients because the NHS is there to serve the customer. Put the customer at the centre of all you do. You know, my um, nephew is a, a heart surgeon down in London in St Bart's and he was telling me that um, what's been happening with him is they they used to do um, face-to-face consultations, but now um, they can do consultations over Zoom, over the mobile phone. And he said about 70% can be done that way. And then 30%, no, I need to see you now. And he says it's so much more efficient for the customer who doesn't need to get on the bus to get to the hospital to wait, to, you know, and... Things just small things like that are going to really revolutionise, and we must get into this mindset of how do we live with it, how do we deal with it, and I must say I am fed up with a government telling me every part of my life how to live it. Trust us, trust us, Nicola. We know what we're doing. Do we need brilliant business brains to run the NHS, Willie? The first thing for me with NHS is I think it has to be broken up. It's too large, right? And it's really hard to make efficient changes in something so big. You know, it's trying to turn that super tanker. But I think, going back to Tom's point about learning, I think we should also study the things that look, that, you know, it's been a positive, right? The stock market is its is highest rate ever, and we're hearing this week there's 184,000 jobs more than there was before the pandemic. I've got to be honest, I'd like someone to come and explain that one to me, right? Because that's not what I'm hearing on the ground. So I'd love to see, is this, you know, short-term contracts? Is it casual working? Is it people we've brought in to, for the you know, to, uh, short-term to fix the supply chain issues? Now, Willie, but, are you going to blame the Tories here? Come on now. No, not, well, I'm actually saying here this is under a, a Tory government. <laughs> I'm saying that the market's at its highest level and people are unemployed. <laughs> So you think I, they're pockling the figures? Uh, well, no, I'd like to just explain <laughs> to me the figures and why that they're they're so good. But then, you know, as again, but 
Tom's right that we, we just need to learn from this. We just can't let this go by and it doesn't put us in a better foot in the next time. Because so, one yeah. will come again. I mean, we can't just say, right, well, that's it. Let's go back to the way it was, Donald. No, no. Because I think, well, he's right. There, there has been, listen, there's been great misery out of this. Oh, my goodness, the misery. But there has been some positive things in the way we work. Who's important? Why they're important? You know, what's important to you as an individual? The work-life balance. All of this thing, people have had time to think about, Donald. So, um, I would I would like to see businesses have got to adapt. And that's what good entrepreneurs and businesses do. They, they adapt to the changes just before they're happening, if they're going to be really clever. So, I am so pleased that our First Minister is now talking about living with it and not trying to dictate every part of our life. That drove me crazy. Well, she also delivered some further good news, Tom, this week when they saying that the auction of Scottish seabeds for offshore wind farms has netted them £700 million across 17 projects. So, good news for jobs and net zero investment or will it be a lot of hot air like the <laughs> SNP's previously <laughs> promised wind turbine jobs bonanza? So, here, shock horror probe, I can exclusively reveal in the Go Radio Business Show, well done, the Scottish Government. This okay. is a bold and enterprising um, initiative, and I really salute them for doing it. It's much bigger than we were told it was going to be, and I think it's bang on. So... What's the facts? The facts are that there'll be approximately 700 million coming into the coffers of the Scottish Government. Um, so that has got to be good news. Now, here's the harder bit. Can Scottish businesses get into this supply chain and make the most of it? Because they're, they're competing in a global field, but surely the Scottish engineering genius, the way we're going to put stuff together... This is where Scottish business and, you know, there's not too much the government can do apart from make sure there's a level playing field. This is now down to Scottish businesses to grab that with both hands. So an opportunity for Scottish businesses, Willie. And of course, without Brexit, it means that we're not um, restricted by European rules. So a good thing. Definitely. And I think, you know, Tom's point is great to get the £700 million capital receipt. It will be well welcomed by the government. But I think we could have went more, you know, further. All right. Uh, you know, that we could have made it a prerequisite. As you say, now we're not part of the OJ procurement system because we're not in Europe. I think that certainly we could have made it a big, big part of the tendering process that who will manufacture in Scotland. And so maybe it should not all have been about price. Right, so it might have been that we we take six fifty and someone else's, but we'll get all the turbines. We'll get everything made locally. You know, I know that this has not worked in the past. You know, um, by fab, but I think that yeah. uh, Scotland's engineering. These are things where we, I think, we should definitely have stepped up to the plate. I would be really disappointed if we're, you know, if Scotland doesn't get the benefit of at least 70% of all the, the spend in the procurement of building the rigs that we need for it. So this is where, you know, we can't even moan about the government. Scottish business has got to step up. Mm -hmm. The entrepreneurs who see the opportunity, the businesses out there, use our engineering talent to, to grab this. Mm -hmm. Surely this is Klondike. Well, you're not going to moan about the government, so I'll maybe set you up. Um, the Scottish, <laughs> government, <laughs> Scottish government delayed its 10-year economic recovery strategy before Christmas, blaming COVID. How important is it to get this underway and what do you most want it to deliver, Tom? So I'd rather get it right than get it quick. Um, that's what I would say. Quite a difficult piece of work to look into the future 10 years ahead. Well, looking into the futures, you know, as as you can tell from my inflation um, projections, looks as if I'm going to lose that year bet in the first two weeks. But anyway, we'll come back to that, I'm sure. So trying to look into the future 10 years, yeah, that's a difficult piece of work. What am I looking best for? Well, I think on looking at these things, what, what government's role 
in it is, is to set the fiscal and regulatory framework in which private capital entrepreneurs can say, right, I can, I can really go for this. So it's not for government to say it's blue hydrogen or green hydrogen. That's The market will decide these things. But the government are saying set out net zero, maybe give us some fiscal tax breaks to attract the capital, to attract the jobs, to attract the enterprise and get, then get out the way. Don't try and micromanage the economy. Um, I, I would love to see Nicola Sturgeon putting her name to this because, frankly, you know, Nicola is our leader and if her name's not on a piece of policy, I think it, it gets um, second-rate coverage. Um, Kate Forbes, I've found her to be good. She was on the show just before Christmas. But has she ever sat down and written a 10-year economic plan before? No, would be the answer to that. Not many people have. And I would just like to say policy should be written with business, not to business. And let's see what comes out of it. Willie? Well, what I'd like to see is, I would like to see something that's deliverable, right? I've been involved over the past 20 years with Tom, <laughs> you know, seven years on the Smith Group, five years on this, you know, all these think tanks. And to be fair, not a lot has happened. So, we, And we've been part of that as well. Right, but we would blame politicians just the <laughs> usual. Um, I'm hoping that this is entrepreneurial, right? And I think there is an opportunity here for us to build on the major contributions that we've gave to the world over the last 250 years, right? And the reason why I say this is, is that, you know, a way, way back in the day that we were one of the first nations in the world to realise that education was the best tool you could ever give anyone. We were at the heart of, you know, the, the, the great enlightenment, the, you know, the, the, the scholars, the philosophers, the people from Scotland, you know, they were all part of that uh, movement. Then go forward into the Industrial Revolution, huge, the, the, the great Scots that played a huge part in that. So th the point of talking about all of this is, it's in our DNA to be entrepreneurial and, more importantly, to be pioneering and I think we have to tap into that. That has to be the foundation of our 10-year plan going forward. You know, we've just talked about the wind farms. We should, this should be a red. Who's doing that? Right, let's take that for red. Here's what we're, we're going to be part of this. Let's start talking to the universities, then talk to the engineering, the new MMIS, the new manufacturing institution. Where are we? Where are we? And I think, Tom's mentioned in the past, it is not, right, it's not by chance that so many huge companies throughout the world have Scottish CEOs or of or Scottish heritage, right? We have this in us. Anyone studying, anyone doing data analysis of every country in the world, I am telling you, Scotland would be in the top quartile of people know how to make things happen. And I just think we need to shake that up. But I think that we should be absolutely... The whole, the, the heart of the 10-year plan should, to, should be entrepreneurism driving it. Entrepreneurs driving it. Just changing tack slightly. Marks and Spencer's been in the news for a couple of things. There's a potential takeover from a US private equity group, which will that be good or bad news for an iconic British business? And then they're looking to close their store in Sucky Hall Street, will they? Um, the good news for Marks and Spencer, obviously, is seeing their figures and seeing what the city have to say. So they're heading over again 500 million net profit, which is great. Uh, it's great to see them doing well. Uh, I, I think that there, there may be a change in, in policy. Maybe, you know, we all know that Sucky Hall Street is not what it used to be. No. Uh, things are changing. Uh, I'd like to think that know that somewhere else in Glasgow they think it may be right for a new store, I'm not sure. But um, obviously they've got the big store in Argyll Street, still got that. So I, I think that, um, yeah, I, I think it's disappointing, I'm sure, for the people on the west end of the city that, that M&S is closing in Sucky Hall Street. But I think what they're just doing is they're moving with the times. Yeah, I mean, when you see something like that happen and you've been in there and it's been part, I mean, I, I had shops up in Sucky Hall Street and... Uh, I can't believe what it's like today. Um, but, and the, it's a big but, the customer has decided 
Donald, the customer has decided they're not going into Mats and Spencer's in Sockey Hall Street. If the customer was still shopping in there, Mats and Spencer's would keep it open. So the customer has decided that doesn't suit me anymore. I, may, I might go to another branch or I might do it online or whatever. But the market and ultimately the customer decides these things. So, you know, it, we've saw it in, you know, in 2008 when Woolworth shut, everybody was going, oh, I missed the pick and mix. Well, you didn't buy enough of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, as I, simple as that. On a personal note, where it's sad for me as I spent half of my apprenticeship on the roof of Marks and Spencer's <laughs> and Sucky Hall Street installing systems. <laughs> uh, Great for sunbathing. <laughs> If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email us at gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterNockey. But before we chat to Jerry, in the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Bell's Food. During the difficult days of depression in the early 1930s, the future did not look good for baker Donald Bell, and the likelihood was that he would find himself out of work as he completed his apprenticeship with a local bakery. Donald lived with his family of four brothers and two sisters, and their parents, David and Margaret Bell, in the mining town of Shots, Lanarkshire. Father David Bell, who had worked locally in the pits as a winding engineman since the early 1900s, was keen for his family to prosper and suggested converting the family wash house into a small bakery. Donald enthusiastically took up the idea and with a hot plate began baking scones and pancakes in the early hours of the morning, which he then took out and sold door to door locally. The products proved popular enough for a small two-deck oven to be installed, and brother Henry took over selling, which allowed master baker Donald to become full-time in producing other high-end quality baking products, such as cakes and rolls. The business grew, and with the encouragement of Father David, the other family members became involved, and the company David Bell & Sons Bakers Limited was born. By the end of the decade, the business had expanded considerably. However, the Second World War presented serious staffing issues for the company, as three brothers, Andrew, Henry and John, were called up for national service. This left the business with a limited but dedicated workforce to carry on through the war years. Thankfully, all three brothers returned safely when the war ended and business continued as before. In the decades that followed, the business was passed down to the next generations of the Bell family. By 1985, listings had been secured for Bell's products amongst all the major retailers, establishing the business as one of Scotland's biggest food manufacturers and a supplier to major retailers and independent traders alike. By the early 1990s, the company had officially run out of space. Product innovation led to their already extended premises bursting at the seams. So much so that they developed a new 44,000 square foot bakery in the Torbothy area of Shots. The company's popularity was officially at an all-time high. Today, Bell's Food Group manufactures 50 tonnes of pastry per week delivering pastry-based baked goods to every corner of the UK and meeting the needs of commercial and domestic customers alike. Bell's proudly remains one of Scotland's greatest ever family businesses. Another great story. 50 tonnes of pastries a week. Most of them coming your way, Willie. Well, quite a few. <laughs> but another great story. You know, and again, though we touched on it earlier, entrepreneurial, pioneering. You know, here's a guy that works down the pits. He's got a wee shed out the back. That could be doing something. You know, let's build a bakery. Phenomenal, phenomenal story. Yeah, it, it takes me back because my dad was a baker up in Newcomnut and he actually trained at, um, which is now Strathclyde University, but it was Glasgow College at the time, Willie. He used to get the training for Newcomnut. Yeah into Central Station and go up to the college. Um, so it takes me back to the smells of the bakehouse. But, you know, what an entrepreneurial story. You talk about challenges today and entrepreneurs come and say, oh, the challenges. This business had the challenge of the Great Depression and then a world war. And they still managed to keep the business together and ultimately prosper. So maybe if you think you're having a bad day, at least we're not having a world war. Indeed, I absolutely love showcasing these fantastic Scottish businesses. We're now joined by Jerry Fasena, Chairman and CEO of Allied Vehicles. Jerry, welcome to the show. Good morning. We're delighted to have you, and I have to say, it's a fantastic family business and Scottish success stories. So tell us about Allied and how it all started back in 1993, Jerry. 
basically with a, a business. My dad died when I was 12 and we were brought up in Postal Park and Saris and where the company is just now. We stayed there till I was eight year old and he moved us up to Arica. We were brought up at Loch Lomanside till we were 15 and then I came down at 15 to go into the business. It was just a very small garage with 12 people. And we built that up, my brother and I. Uh, we'd, the biggest recovery company, we'd break down wagons in Europe with 33 recovery wagons, four dealerships, body shops, everything. And then in the, the recession in 89, uh, we lost all of that. We didn't go bankrupt, but uh, we had to sell all off. And my sisters remortgaged the house and gave us £80,000 to start again. That was 26 years ago. So friends, you know, that's when you find your, your true friends are. Uh, friends come up and helps us get premises. Just started with a few ramps and workshops and some of our old staff and just done the same crazy things as before, seven days, seven nights and built it up. And uh, we just get into some niche markets. Uh, one of the ones being the wheelchair accessible vehicles. We're now the biggest in the world for disabled vehicles. Uh, we take over 50% of the UK market, which is bigger than the whole of the European market. Uh, we've now got distributors all over Europe. We've got transporters uh, shipping cars into Europe. We're shipping kits to Mexico. And we're in talks with a large company in America that will possibly be doing some stuff there as well. So no, that, that part of the business is, is, is really, really, really good. Um, top of that, we've got big accident repair centres, uh, we're parts distribution now is all over Scotland. It's, it's a 24-hour operation. We're the main distributor for Peugeot, Citroen, Vauxhall, Fiat parts for the whole of Scotland now. We've got a branch in Aberdeen. We're just about to open a branch in Edinburgh. Uh, I was supposed to be looking at property this week through there. And uh, we opened a big new showroom uh, six months ago down in Coventry. And we're looking for premises in London and uh, Manchester. So, It's an incredible success story, and I don't think many of our listeners realise the scale of your business. But I'm really intrigued. You've, you've maintained your premises in Postle. Why is that? Is that loyalty to the area? Well, I was brought up in Postle, and to be honest, you know, I think it's the lost village. Um, there's a lot of good people in Postle. I know it gets a bad reputation, Uh but, you know, that, that's the, the small amount. Uh, most people are really genuine, uh, care about their folks more than anywhere else. And I've just got to be in my bonnet about, you know, what I call mission impossible. Is uh, <laughs> and do something and, uh, with the help of some others. You know, set up a new charity ourselves. We're putting 10000 a month into it to, just to spend on local charities in the postal area and do things there. Uh, we bought the stadium three years ago. The Ashfield Stadium was going bust the old football team. And that's where the Glasgow Tigers Speedway race. And both of them are going to go down the tube. So we decided that was where we we're going to put our money into the local area. You know, there's now there's 350 kids in the, in the football academy there. The Speedway team got to the final of the UK. And there's quite a lot of local companies have supported us in that. You know, Peugeot supporters, Ford, Volkswagen. And I really want to do more in the area. We work very closely with NG Homes. They're a big one of the big housing associations. I've got a really good relationship with them and the local councillors. But for me, it's all about my family. We want to put something back into Postle and try and lift it. You know, we look in Glasgow, there's a lot of areas that's came up you know, between the Commonwealth Games and other areas, Postle's been left behind. And Postle and Milton, it's just, it's, yeah, you know, if you're born in Postle Park, your life expectancy is 10 years less than anywhere else in Scotland. It's the second worst place in Britain, I think, for deprivation. Um, so it needs a lot of input, and that's where we want to put our focus. And the business, we've had offers of moving the business, uh, you know, I was out of employing people. We've got just under 600 people there now. Uh, we do manufacturing. We're manufacturing more of our own products uh, every month. A big engineering team up there now. There's 20-odd engineers and designers who are designing new products all the time to launch into the market. 
It's absolutely fantastic the way you've continued to support the people in Possil. And I know it chimes with Willie. Good morning, Jerry. Good to talk to you. Morning. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Nice to hear you. Uh, as Donald already said, it's, it's one of the best kept secrets in Glasgow, the success and the side of Allied. And over the years that you, you've built it and built it, and I believe you're still expanding, and it's great to hear your story, but now you're looking further afield in, in the rest of the UK. But what do you actually think is the potential... You know, do you have an idea of you try to double in size or is is there, you know, there's no ceiling as to where you could go? Well, my attitude's always been, you know, follow my gut. And uh, people say, what's the, you know, what's the strategy of the company? And the operations board, my son now is the managing director, Peter, along with uh, David. Um, I've got two sons in the business. The other one's a QC in London. Um, he keeps us out of jail, Willie. He keeps us safe. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad thing you have. <laughs> so, uh, but, so, you know, people say, what's the strategy? And I say, as, lo- as long as we've got competitors out there, there's business to go after. And, you know, the fact that we're in number one position in the world gives us a lot of strength buying power with the manufacturers. Uh, we did think, you know, last year with Brexit, we thought, well, look, we need to, get ourselves protected. We looked at factories in Poland in case we'd had to start building for Europe over there. But, you know, for me, I want to try and keep as many jobs in Scotland as I can, you know, try and not buy out all the, you know, although we've got 600 employed, there's probably another 2,000 that are feeding into us. Fantastic. Uh, and we try and keep them in, in Scotland if we can. So as far as growth is, uh, it's... We're quite fortunate that the company doesn't have a lot of borrowings. In fact, I don't think we've any borrowings at the moment. Uh, and we want to expand. And through the COVID, we've had a really, the company's done really well. From the original panic when, you know, it was like, shut the doors, what do we do? Two weeks after that, we had a plan and we started opening up certain bits because we look after a lot of government vehicles, police ambulance. So we had to be operational for them and, and a lot of our business has expanded through through the COVID. So, so Jerry, it's um, it's um, Tom here. Morning. Morning, Tom. So, I've I've got a great um affiliation to Postal as well. I I had a hamburger stall outside the Brothers Pub in Postal, and I, I spent many a night there. And that was a real business education, Jerry. I can tell you that. Well, it would be with Big Joe McHugh and all this. Would be. <laughs> well, I was, I was, I'm worse than Tom. I bought the brothers off of Big Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, oh, no, so... Parks are an experience. If you if you survive Postal Park, you can survive everywhere. Aye, so 1982, I was in a converted ambulance outside the brothers' pub. It was brilliant, but. As well, I said, I mean, I, I feel ashamed that I don't know your story because I, I love stories like this and the fact mm. you're, you're there, you're doing it in your local area and you're giving back. This is just right up my street. But have you made a decision not to go after the, the PI? You obviously don't need it. But um, wh- how have you actually decided? Because you kind of brushed over, there's been plenty of challenges and you know, your sister come in. Did you ever pay her back the 80 grand, by the way? I was paid back within 12 months, believe it or not. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so we always like to talk about on the show, because there's plenty of folk, you know, can say, oh, I'm really successful, but you, you learn more from your failures and your hard times. So how have you taken these lessons, Jerry, and, and put it into the success that Allied is now? Oh. I just, I think about 30 years ago, I decided I'm never going to kneel on a bank manager's carpet again or a bank <laughs> man's carpet. Or the, you know, I've been through all the, the hassle of years ago. Believe it or not, Tom, me and you met a long time ago. Did you, you get a burger? Harry and Jamie, I gave Jamie his first push bike. You're joking. Up in Bishop Briggs, Ashfield in Bishop Briggs. Aye. You and Marion came in. With the Ford dealership, we're going to do something with the mountain bikes. Aye, that's right, aye. 
Right, Jerry, you've got a better memory than me, sir. I've never been paid for that bike. That's why I'm on this boat. <laughs> so, you, right, anyway, moving along. Right. Here. Come so, on, let's. So there, this, is, this, is, this is the debt collection. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm delighted. I'm delighted you're on today, Jerry. I'm going to dine out on this. Wally, where did you find this guy? He's obviously I'm, an imposter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that is brilliant Jerry but listen I just as a, a wee aside I'd love to come up to Porcelain and see what you're doing there because yeah. I love stories like this no and I'd like you to come up and see yeah. Yeah. Proud of what yeah. we've done up there. You know. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll pop up and Definitely. Well, I might pay you for that bite because he owes me something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, through all the hardship. I mean, Ashfield was a real nightmare for us. It really yeah. was. We just overexpanded at the wrong time. Right. And we were a partnership, so we weren't a limited company. We could just run away. So right. we lost everything. Oh, uh, we managed goodness. to keep our house just, but we lost everything and we had to start again. Yeah. As I say, with 350 people at that time. Um, and then, you know, when this COVID hit, you know, in two months, we lost a fortune in two months. But, you know, the whole furlough system was just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it saved a lot of companies. Yeah, I think, Jerry, people listening, you know, and, and what's great about the story is, you know, 30 years ago, you've overexpanded, you know, you're, you're going down, your sister's remortgaging our house and today you're telling us about you're now putting 10 grand a month back into the community for your charities this is a story this is what real entrepreneurs do and uh, yeah. and I, and one thing I do know having businesses in, in Postal I used to own the Saracen and the Brothers and the Fura the Balmore but I, yeah. I know I know for a fact what the people in in, in Postal think of your business and it's if it wasn't there I'll tell you there'd be a big giant hole in Postal yeah. so yeah. congratulations you, what, what a story Jerry, can I take you back to the point where you decided to go after these niche markets? Whose idea was it? You know, it's having that flair and understanding of where the world was going, or was it just luck? I think it's opportunities. Um, I don't know. It just seems to be people talk about guys that are great marketeers and, you know, go and study market. I, I don't think. Uh, you're actually born with it. Your ideas, people, I think, are born with ideas and it just comes naturally. And it doesn't matter where I go. If I'm driving down, I mean, at one stage, I was away overlooking at an engineering company in Poland and ended up looking at graveyards, believe it or not, and <laughs> looking at gravestones. I just bought a gravestone for my sister that I lost many years ago. And it was about two and a half thousand pounds. I said to this guy, I'm watching the gravestones over here. He says, it was about 600 for the most beautiful gravestones. I started to think, well, we could ship them in. And then it went to, I've got big CNC machines. I could make plastic ones and all these ones that are falling down. We could make them in plastic. You could have them in Rangers colours, Celtics colours. You could put a lock on them. Just ideas, I think. Well, that's a dead-end market. Jerry, it's, that's... A, it's in our DNA. We've just been talking about it earlier. Entrepreneurs, pioneers. It's in the Scottish DNA. Brilliant. They can't help just, it. You know, just in that we have ideas team. We put a wee team together in the garage, and it could be a mechanic, it could be a partsman. It's you know, you're lucky if you find it in some of your managers. You know, but yeah. you, you want the team that will <laughs> come up with ideas and just you know, it's, it's silly wee things. So you're uh, encouraging that, Jerry, in the workforce. Oh, I a hundred percent. I mean, we've got uh, we've actually taken my son David. Uh, Peter's the MDs. Uh, David was running sales. We've actually just put him in. He's got a couple of branches that he looks after, but his main job now is the culture of the company and the staff. Right. Something called Allied Extra. It does a massive amount of stuff for the staff. That's charity. We've now got a team of people within the company that we're saying, right, you come and bring the ideas and you know where we, where we want to spend the money because we started off with 10000 and We'll let that build up. But that's on top of the speedway we've been banging in. We've spent three million pounds doing up the stadium and saving it and it's costing maybe a couple hundred thousand a year to run. Yeah. With all the, the different things that are going on in it. And we've got some plans to expand that. And that's a great night. If you've never been to the Speedway and the Glasgow Tiger Speed, the two you need to bring the farm along. It's just uh, a great hold, night. Hold on, the three of us. The I, three of us. I, I have been to the Speedway in Ashfield. I've been to the Dogs in Ashfield. I've actually played a cup final in Ashfield. Oh, there you right. go. Yeah. <laughs> 
Look, look into the future. There's this push towards all electric cars. How much of a challenge is that to your business, Jerry? Well, we have been working on it for the last uh, year. Believe it or not, uh, we were one of the first to bring electric vehicles into Britain 15 years ago. Were you really? Aye. Wow. Uh, it was a bit of a disaster. We sent a guy, sent a guy around the world looking at what was the future, and he came back and he says, I found two companies in Italy 50 miles apart that are building electric vehicles. I went away out and met them, and I'd, the big company I didn't like, but I took a shine to the small company they'd been building lead acid vehicles for 15 years, and they'd then moved on to lithium ion batteries. And they had some success, but the problem was the batteries were just terrible quality. So we came back here and we found a Scottish company that had just been given money by the British government to develop car batteries. So we put the two of them together, we paid for them to design electric vans uh, and it ended up a disaster. The batteries weren't good quality, the stuff from Italy was alright, but we built, I think it was 150 vehicles that ended up a bit of a disaster and the thing that at that time people didn't really want to change. So you had drivers just didn't want to drive electric vehicles and I think there's still a bit of that just now. Yeah. So it is, it is a bit of a task for us but we will I have all electric vehicles in my fleet. We've got one hybrid just now that we've finished engineering, but we're working on the electrics because that's the future. It's electric and hydrogen are the two that will eventually come. Well, you've got yeah. lots of ideas, incredibly creative and a success story. Is there one key bit of advice that you'd want to give out to any budding entrepreneurs out there listening to the show? I think it's just come up with ideas and, uh, you know, if your gut's telling you it's right, then have a go at it. And um, I've got a big thing in my wall, you can because you think you can. It's two seagulls flying because scientifically <laughs> they can't fly. And I've always believed whatever you think you can do, you can do it. Well, Jerry, it's been an absolute pleasure um, reacquainting myself with you. And um, the whole reason Willie put the show together was to showcase Scottish entrepreneurs doing things and I've had a brilliant morning this morning meeting you and um, understanding what you're doing in Posso and I'm definitely coming up to um, see you and I'd love to take part in your ideas um, meeting and um, good luck to you and good luck to everything you're doing in Posso. Love it. Love Jerry, it. thanks very much for coming on. Brilliant. I'm, I'm sure the listeners loved the story and we look, we will definitely 100% come and see Any you. And settle that debt. And Britt might bring that money for the bike, will he? <laughs> <laughs> I'll need it because he'll not bring it. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Thank you, Jerry. We're going to our phone lines now and first up, we have Jane Lasley, who's the owner and creative director of Fairly Curved. Welcome to the show, Jane. Hi, Donald. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you on this morning. But before you put your question to Tom and Willie, that's a great name for the business. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Fairly is my maiden name. I was a fashion student over 20 years ago and really always struggled to get clothes to fit. I'm quite curvaceous, quite small back size, but quite big up front, if you know what I mean. So I'm quite busty. Always struggled to get clothes to fit me. And during my final year at Watt University, I decided to design and produce a collection for Fuller Bust Girls. My maiden name was Fairly, so I naturally called it Fairly Curved. I ended up working as a buyer for 20 years after I graduated and I never took the range forward, but I found all my design work during the first lockdown and decided to start a styling page for Dressing for Your Shape. And it's and it's actually just created the brand um, Fairly Curved just through demand, through my styling page and the community that I've built on Instagram and Facebook. And I now have an online clothing boutique for fuller bust and curve friendly clothes. Sounds like a brilliant business. What's your question then for Tom and Willie? So my question is, what advice would you give a new business in a niche market that is ready to scale up? Would you advise investing in advertising to reach more potential customers or investing in people to help you build the brand organically? Tom. Well, Jane, morning. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm great. That's a, a lovely story. Who did you work for as a buyer? I worked for International, oh, New right. Look, Ken, Ken D2. Kendall, yeah. you, you worked for D2? 
I worked for D2, yes. I bought their women's wear for a few years. Oh, right. So do I know you? Um, you maybe passed me in the corridor in Dundonald <laughs> a couple of times. I don't think you know me. <laughs> Does he owe you any money? Because yes. uh, previous call, the previous guest was talking about owing money. money to yes. I don't owe you any money. <laughs> no, Can we just good. say that for the record? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Jane, it's a, it's a lovely story, great name. And, you know, every small business, you know, the challenge is how do we scale up? And this is right, I, I, I love these sort of questions. And it's businesses like yours who are going to scale up, who are going to move the economic dial in Scotland. And we've actually got a programme called Scale Up Scotland, which is um, you can go on, you can apply to go on, and we put you together with other like-minded entrepreneurs and the secret sauce of it all is what you learn from other entrepreneurs, the peer-to-peer learning and support. But anyway, that's a wee plug for that. To answer your question, it's all about understanding your customer and how they're going to hear about your business. There are so many ways now. It used to be, you know, you either put it in the newspaper or TV, but now there are... a plethora of ways, but you will understand that better than I will ever understand it. Is it in social media? Is it on TikTok? Is it on LinkedIn? There's so many ways that you can speak with your customers now, but you're the expert. Um, I wouldn't have a satisfactory answer to you, but just put yourself in the customer's shoes and then make sure that your message is going down the right channel in the right format. And I think you'll do really well. Great, Tom. Willie, have you any advice for Jane? Yeah, Jane, morning. Hi, morning. I hope when you were working with DT, Tom and McGonagall and company weren't too harsh on you. No, down at at Dundonald. (laughs) (laughs) Could I ask, in the time that you've been in business at the moment, what has your growth been like? Have you grown the business 50% over a year, 100%, 200%? Yes, so I only launched, the website only launched in October last year. So I've only really been trading for the first year. Unfortunately, I've just hit the VAT threshold. So that's a bit of a bummer. So at the moment, I'm looking at how I drive the business to try and make up for that 20% that I'm going to have to pay on VAT. Um, so there's monthly growth every month. There's, there's growth at the moment. It's all organic growth. So I, I'm shipping customers. I'm shipping sorry orders all over the world. So I'm actually just packing up some orders now to go to America. Um, so yeah, the growth right. is there. The potential's there, and the name is so good because although it's for fuller bust at the moment, I'm actually working on development for curve friendly jeans. So girls that are maybe curvaceous in the bum or the hips, but I've got a small waist. So the name lends itself to more potential as well because I can really try and solve all fit problems in clothing. The market for underwear for fuller bust girls is fantastic now, but there there is no options for clothes. Brevismo used to do clothes, but they, they no longer do them. Um, and they have actually recommended me on their website um, as a clothing retailer. So, yeah, the growth has been fantastic, but it's happened so quickly because it was really a styling page and the business has almost happened on the back of that by accident. It isn't like I designed and then had a huge launch. So it's just trying to catch my tail, really. So, you obviously, and, and trust me, do not take it as a negative that you've now hit the VAT threshold. That means you're going places. I always have, you know, uh, conversations with other budding entrepreneurs that complain about the amount of tax that they pay. And I say, well, that just means look at the amount of money you've made. But, uh, and so for you, you, you're you're judging by the amount of customers you're taking on per month, the new customers. Uh, obviously, the business is growing. To get to the VAT threshold from October to now is a great achievement, especially, obviously, the way things are at the moment with, with COVID and what have you. So I think this sounds really, really promising and it sounds like a great product. Um, I think that, you know, it's you've proved already that there is, a, there is a niche market for what you're trying to do. And if you're not trying to take over the world, but you're trying to build up a business that may turn over a million pounds or two million pounds, it is niche, it's local, depending on where you want to take the business. Um, yeah. it lo- I would say to you at the moment, it looks as if you're on the right track. Whatever media you're using for advertising, where it's, it's probably mostly social media at the moment, it's working for you. I would continue down that vein. And then, as as Tom says, that maybe networking is another way. uh, The advice that I give to everybody that's starting a business, 
is try and expand your business in the early years without having to throw a lot of money into marketing. Right, and I've been very, very fortunate. I'm 36 years at this and I'm still of that opinion and I've been lucky that I've managed to find partners and obviously customers that are willing to work on a kind of open book cost plus partnership basis and that takes me out of the whole tendering process. So I think whatever you're doing at the moment is proven to be a success. I would continue down that route and, and just to see how that goes. Thank you. And I believe, Jane, that you're potentially looking at the US market and we have a further question for Tom and Willie. Yeah, so at the moment, the third biggest percentage of my followers on Instagram and social media is in America. I have lots of repeat customers. I have lots of repeat customers in the UK, but I have lots of repeat customers in America who are paying crazy postal charges and then custom taxes. They buy all of their bras from the UK because they don't, they're not catered for in America. So they might be catered for plus size, but they don't cater for small band, big cup size. So I have a lot of customers that are buying from the UK all the time. And it's it's how do you tap into that international US market um, when you're so small? Well, uh, <coughs> I couldn't say I'm an expert in this field, but, <laughs> but, but what I would say is, is that obviously... That if a third of your customers in six months, you know, are in that market, that's fantastic. Um, again, we'll keep doing what you're doing. That will grow and grow and grow. The other thing is that I'm sure you'll be doing this, but encouraging the customers that you do have to tell their friends about you, you know. And I know that the I have noticed, to be fair, in my business in the time I've spent in the states over the past few years, there is plenty of customers for you. Yes. Right, so plenty. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I spent some time down in Miami, and there's plenty there. Most of them, I would imagine, they're not natural, yeah. but they're trying. They're trying to be a customer. Yeah. But uh, I, I think certainly, what I can say with a degree of certainty, definitely target Miami and Florida. <laughs> I might need to book a holiday now yeah. just to do some comp shopping brilliant oh, that's absolutely, brilliant. absolutely great Jane the best of luck with your business yeah. I think you've thank got you a so much. great future yeah. good Thanks luck and calling. thank you for calling in and good luck and, and keep us keep you know, keep the team here up to date and how you're doing I will do thank you very much thank you unfortunately that's all we've got time for if you have any feedback or want to know more about how you can get involved visit thisisgo.co.uk and don't forget you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join us on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Listen live every Sunday morning from 11.